Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. morning we're starting a series for the next three weeks about John the Baptist. And I think it is fitting and makes a lot of sense, in particular this morning, that John, if, if you wanted to hear John's message in the first century, you had to work pretty hard to get to him and to find him because he was in the wilderness. And I think similarly today, if you wanted to hear the message here, you had to work pretty hard to get here uh, to hear it. <laughs> and, and, and I think, I think that's, that's fitting because I think what God is saying to us, that what the Spirit is doing, how God is leading I believe is not an easy road. It's a very worthwhile road. But, but I think that God is doing something very significant. If we have ears and hearts to hear and listen, then we won't be disappointed. As I share today, um, I think the next three weeks come out of about eight months of living in this stuff, and uh, I am excited and apprehensive to share this morning because of what it means for us who follow Jesus. Um, It's interesting because Jesus in Luke chapter seven, verse 20 says this. He says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Of those born of women, none is greater than John. That came from Jesus' mouth. Speaking of John the Baptist, not the apostle John who wrote John and first, second, third John and Revelation, but but John the Baptist. And here's what's interesting. Because John lived if you know anything about him, lived in a small community. He discipled a very small group of young men and he never left the wilderness. His ministry assignment didn't bring any great reward or any personal benefits. Actually, it led him to prison and an early death. His prophecies were not fulfilled in his lifetime and the nation did not ultimately repent, which was his only message, repent. He lived his entire life to prepare the way for Jesus. But he apparently only met Jesus one time, and Jesus did not invite John to become one of his disciples. When John's assignment was finished, he ended up in jail and then was executed by Herod when he made a rash decision at a drunken party. I don't know what the Lord 
revealed to John about his life and calling and ministry, but I think it's very likely that John's assignment did not end the way he expected it to. So over the next three weeks, as we prepare for Easter, I believe that God has something very specific and intentional for you and I. I would encourage you that, I would encourage you not to miss today, next week, and the following week. And if you have to, go back and catch up because I do believe it is critical for what God is doing. Through the testimony and witness of John, we have an opportunity to reclaim our identity in Christ and be challenged to start living in a way that can only be lived through the power of the Holy Spirit. So no matter how great or gifted you or I might be, we have to become disillusioned with what we can produce and get a vision for what God alone can produce. Our lifetime goal is not to become satisfied with ourselves. We have to become disillusioned with what we can produce so that the Holy Spirit can step in and do what only he can do through us. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter one. Luke chapter one. Where, where we're gonna go over the next few weeks is today we're gonna be at, we're gonna be at different locations. Today we're gonna be at the temple Next week, we're gonna be in the wilderness, and the next week, we're gonna be at the cross. And, and, and if you think of John's life and his journey, that pretty much summarizes his journey. The temple, the wilderness, and the cross. And, and really, I think that John's journey is actually a template for our journey, for what God calls us into. I don't think John was just a forerunner of Jesus, but I think he was a forerunner of what God wanted his church to be. You see, the call of discipleship is to follow Jesus from security and power into dependence and weakness so that the kingdom of God can flow through you in the power of the Spirit. You see, God chose John to prepare a nation, but John lived in this small place, disconnected from national leaders, and only publicly ministered for a few months. Scholars believe that John ministered, his public ministry was anywhere from six months to 18 months. Probably, most scholars believe on the shorter end. So let's remember that John was born about the same time as Jesus, so he was about 30 when Jesus started his public ministry. So 30 years in the wilderness, six months of public ministry, and then he was arrested and no more hearing from John. And, and so most of John's life probably appeared empty or barren to the, to the casual onlooker. But in Jesus' estimate, it was one of the most fruitful lives in history, according to Jesus' own words. And so there's something to be noticed. There's something to recognize in John's life. And maybe overlay that on our lives. Luke chapter one, in verse five, we, we begin catching up with the story of John the Baptist. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah 
of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now, right off the bat, think about this. This is John's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Interesting is Zechariah is a priest. He's a priest serving in the temple at Jerusalem. Now, at that time, there was a a, a very large conglomerate of priests, and so the priests were broken up into different divisions, and they had certain times that they were called to go and serve at the temple in Jerusalem. So Zechariah is a priest, and his wife Elizabeth is not just some random woman that he married. Elizabeth is in the lineage of Aaron, the first priest of Israel. Aaron, Moses' brother, who was then the priest, and the priestly line came through Aaron. So while Elizabeth was not a priest, she was in the priestly line of Aaron. That was her lineage. That was her heritage. So John the Baptist was born out of a priest as a father and a mother who was of the lineage of Aaron, Moses' brother, first priest of Israel. It goes on and it says, And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. This is important to note because here's the thing. We did a a, a brief study in the book of Malachi last year. And what the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, moving into the New Testament, God indicts the priesthood and the temple as being empty and unfaithful, and oppressive. And so that's, that, that is the climate of the temple system and the priesthood when John is born. But not all the priests are corrupt. Because scripture, Luke makes a point of noting that Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous, and they walked blamelessly before God. And so what we need to recognize is that while it was a corrupt system in the temple and the priesthood was full of corruption, there were some, at least one, who was faithful and righteous. He and his wife both were. But what's interesting is following that they were righteous is a statement that Elizabeth was barren and they were both old. And what that means is that probably people and their neighbors and their friends did not look at them as righteous. They looked at them as something's wrong with them because barrenness in a couple's life was a sign of God's displeasure or curse on your life. So, so probably they were not seen the way God describes them through Luke's writing. That maybe people are like, yeah, well, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're, they're great, but there's something wrong because she doesn't have kids. And, and, and so we move on, and it says, now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So what that is is that, that the priests would be required to go into the temple of God and, and, and serve incense to God while people waited outside. And because there was so many priests, they had to draw lots to see who would go in and do that. And secondly, if you drew that lot, you were only allowed to do that once in your lifetime. 
And many priests didn't actually get to go into the temple and offer incense anyway. So if, you, if the lot fell on you, you, you were, it was a huge honor to go in and offer incense to the Lord. But if you did it, that'd be your one shot because you couldn't do it again. And, and so here, Zechariah, they, 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 they draw lots and it falls on him and so he goes into the temple to offer incense to God. He's alone and all the people are outside waiting. The rest of the priests, the people who are out gathered by the temple. Verse 10, it says, and the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. This is very similar to a passage in the Old Testament with Hannah when she was praying that she would have a child because she was barren. And then an, and, and an angel came and, and showed up to her and said, you'll have a son. And she said, God, I will dedicate my child to your service. Very similar situation. And, and so the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been answered and your wife will bear you a son and his name shall be called John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Just need to pause there for a second. Those of you women who've been pregnant and your pregnancy is going on and you're getting more tired and it's going on have you ever thought to yourself, man, this baby inside me is filled with the Holy Spirit? I mean, I feel like probably you're like, this baby is full of something. It is not the Holy Spirit right now. But think about what this is saying. And even from his mother's womb, he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the, to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn hearts of the fathers to children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am old, an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to you to speak and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. I, wanna, I wanna, again wanna pause there and just point something out that here God, God shuts his mouth. He really kind of asked a simple question. How is this gonna be? Because it just seems crazy. But Gabriel says, look, Here's the sign that this is true. You'll be mute until the baby comes. And I think part of that is because he questioned the word that God brought to him, but I also think there's something symbolic going on here as well. Zechariah, remember, is a priest in the temple. I think another picture that God is painting here because it connects with the birth is that God is silencing the priesthood. God is silencing the system of the temple that has been going on and has moved further and further away from God's heart. And by telling Zechariah he will not speak, I think it is a sign and a symbol that God is doing something different in the priesthood of Israel 
and they are being silenced because they have not been obedient or faithful to God. As in, in 22, it says, and when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and for five months, she kept herself hidden saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. And so, here what God does is, is God brings this pretty miraculous announcement of John's birth to his parents. And, and it's, it's a direct connection to the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. And if I were to summarize the book of Malachi, the message of Malachi the prophet, it would be this, that the priesthood had become compromised and politicized. Priests were called to be God's messengers, but the priesthood had failed and did not instruct the people in the knowledge of God. And so God was going to send a priest who would be his messenger to prepare the way for the Lord to come to his temple and purify the priesthood. That's what Malachi says. That there would be a people who then treasured the Lord, who feared his name and became his treasured possession and that God would expand the priesthood beyond the city of Jerusalem out into the nations. See, John was the messenger of Malachi 3, 1, and he is a prototype of a priestly people who would fear the Lord, serve him as messengers, and become his treasured possession. That's what's going on here with John. See, John pointed to a new priesthood ministering to God in the wilderness of the nations outside the land of Israel, preparing the way for them to come to God while Jerusalem was not yet saved and her priesthood not yet purified. That is what we are in Christ. We are a royal priesthood, the priesthood of all believers, and our Priestly duties are to prepare the way for Christ to return and to be witnesses to Israel, to, Jew, to the Jews, because their priesthood has not yet been purified. So we are the priesthood that goes out into the nations. In verse 57, we see the birth of John the Baptist. It says, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had showed great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him Zechariah after his father because that's what Jewish tradition is. If not after his father, after a family significant name, And then it says, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by his name. And so they're like, okay, there's something wrong with Elizabeth. She's not thinking right. I mean, she's been living with like a mute husband for the last nine months. And maybe, you know, let's, let's, let's see if Zechariah can shed some light on this. And so it says, and they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. <clears throat> 
And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. (laughs) And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. I want you to catch the symbolism and the sign here. God shut Zechariah's mouth at the announcement of of John the Baptist. He opened his mouth upon the birth and naming of John the Baptist. I believe that was a symbol and a sign that God was closing the doors on Israel's priesthood and opening the doors to a new priesthood that would eventually circle back to Israel, but it would do what God had asked Israel to do originally because when God called Israel out, he said, you will be a nation of priests. But they disobeyed and so they ended up having a priestly class not a nation of priests. God will get his nation of priests, which is the the body of Christ, the priesthood of all believers. It It is not denominational. It is not national. It is those who are in Christ. And then it says in verse 65, and fear came on all their neighbors, And all these things were talked about throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, "What what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord is with him. Now think about that for a second. Through John, God is establishing a global people of God through the church, the priesthood of believers And here's what we need to catch. Jesus is not returning for a church satisfied with her success in this age. He's not coming back for a church that is glad and and impressed with itself that it's got buildings and bank accounts and land and influence and authority and power. Jesus is returning for a church dissatisfied with his absence, a church filled with longing for Jesus to receive his final reward of his suffering. That's what Jesus is returning for. Not to say you did a great job of establishing your powerful foothold in the world. He's returning for a church that can't stand can't handle another minute without him. That's why we've been talking about intimacy with Jesus. Because you cannot fulfill what Christ has called you to do without a deep and abiding intimacy with Jesus Christ. You will get off track. And you will not be preparing the way for the Lord's return. You see, there was a profound difference in the influence of other priests and how they had gained their, through political maneuvering and the authority John had from heaven. Two very different places. See, Israel's priesthood had gained power through this maneuvering in the politics and, and in the ways that humanity gets power and authority, but John's power and authority came from heaven And to this day, many of us continue to seek influence, power, and control through political and humanistic means, but authority from heaven is a completely different thing. 
The Spirit's power flows most powerfully through those who have laid down their lives, period. And that's what John did. That's where John was. And that's where Jesus calls us to be. We, we see John's assignment in Zechariah's prophecy toward the end of, of Luke 1 in verse 67. Zechariah begins to prophesy and gives glory to God and then he begins to prophesy about what John will do, who John is, and what God will accomplish through him. And I want to read that because it's really significant. Like, think about the words that he uses. In verse 76, Zechariah prophesies and he says this, and you, child, speaking of John, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Like that's John's assignment. He will be prophet of the Most High and he will guide people into salvation and he will prepare the way for God to come visit. There will be forgiveness of sins. There will be those who will see the light in the darkness that they sit in and, and he will help guide the way to peace. That's his assignment. So you're thinking, okay, he's here to announce the Messiah. He's here to pave the way. And then in verse 80, it, it gives this spectacular, incredibly wonderful, pageant-like way that he's going to do it. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. I feel like a letdown. Like you've built up 10 years of Marvel stories, and an and endgame ends with, it was just went back to normal stuff and Thanos won and we're good. It feels like a huge letdown that he grew, became strong and was in the wilderness, hidden in the wilderness until his public ministry of about six months. I mean, there's great expectations for this guy and he like flashed for six months and then he's done. No one even attended his funeral because he was killed in the middle of the night in a dark prison by a one guy. Everybody else was drinking and having a party. His death wasn't even significant. Isn't it interesting that, that, that here, John did not live in the most influential city in his reason, region. He was born to be a priest because he was in a priestly line. John was supposed to be a priest in the temple because his father was a priest and his mother was in the lineage of Aaron. People had to be thinking like, man, he's gonna be, he's gonna be an awesome priest. Like he's probably gonna be a high priest one day. He's gonna be like the priest of all priests because look at his birth. Look at what's going on. He's gonna be like, he's gonna have all the power and authority. He's a big time deal. I wanna get to know him because if you know John, you're going places. 
was born to be a priest, but he didn't have the privilege of being part of the vast temple operation in Jerusalem. Ironically, being cut off from Jerusalem made John, as a priest, accomplish the greatest impact in his generation, according to Jesus. But John had to choose to obey or disobey God. Because priests could disobey God. Go to the Old Testament when Samuel came on the scene and Eli was the, the high priest at the moment. His sons were horrible. They were corrupt, oppressive, disobedient, indulgent. And God dealt with them. But a priest doesn't have to be obedient or faithful. John had a choice to either obey or disobey. See, if he had stayed in Jerusalem, he could have been part of the temple system and had a good life. And he could have been a faithful priest. Perhaps he would have become an influential rabbi. He could have pursued activity and influence, but he chose to live in the wilderness where he became the priest he was born to be and the messenger that God wanted him to be. And so that's where he went. His assignment was to prepare the way and announce the Messiah. Prepare people for the Messiah to come. So if, if like, if, if you were told, hey, we've got a huge announcement to make. Huge announcement. Jesus is coming back. And, and so here, here's, here's the deal. Mark, I'm putting you in charge of this. I need you to set everything up so that this is successful and everyone can know that the Messiah is coming back. And so probably you'd be thinking, okay, what's the biggest venue I could get in the city that has the most attention and influence? Maybe it's a million-person march to Washington, and we go out on the front lawn of the White House, and that's where we announce this, this message. That's how we let people know, because the word's going to get out, because that's how we do things. That's how we cause things to happen. That's how we make changes. That's how we use our influence. That was the temple. John was a priest. And there was all this stuff about his, his birth. So John would be announcing the Messiah from the temple steps to all the people. That's how we would do it, right? That's how we would do it. In the church, that's how we would do it. That's not how God did it. God moved John from the temple to the wilderness. So not only was the, the, the announcement of Jesus' return, or his, his coming, not only was it not on the biggest stage in the known world at that moment, but it was in the wilderness, and you had to look to find the message. See, John could have drawn massive crowds in the cities of Israel, but massive crowds did not mean surrender and transformation. John's tour is not coming to a city near you. <laughs> you have to go find him in the wilderness where he's calling people to repentance and calling them to be baptized. You see, here's the deal. You cannot confront our generation if your life is consumed by the same passions, hopes, dreams, solutions, and fears as everyone else in our generation. You can't. I can't. But that's how we live. 
Look at how we solve problems and the world solves problems. There is so little difference. Look at how we move towards success. It's very little difference between how we do and the world does. Jesus said, look at how the Gentiles lord their authority over people. It must not be so with you. Is it not so with us? Because I think it is so with us. We are very little different from the workings of the world around us. In short, what this means is that you and I have to begin to order our life as if the Bible is true. And I know probably all of us in here, most of us in here, believe the Bible's true, but do we order our lives as if the Bible is true? There's a difference between what we know and what we do. See, this is the challenge, the trading in of what is perceived as power and influence for the dependence and weakness that allows the Spirit of God to move and work freely through us. That's the challenge that we have. Because pursuing authority and power and influence is so attractive and so much a part of our fallen nature. But if that's the way God wanted things done, John would have been a priest in the temple and announced the coming of Jesus from the temple steps. But that's not what God did. So you see, we, what God is doing in this moment, he's going from the old temple system and the old priesthood to a new system and a new priesthood. A new temple and a new priesthood. See, the priesthood in Israel had political influence, but like the temple, it was empty. It didn't change hearts and lives. It was empty. And that's not my estimation of it. That's Malachi. That's John. That's Jesus. Along with a bunch of other prophets from the Old Testament who speak on behalf of God. You see, their system became very religious and it was full of activity. They did not lack for programs and events and structures and systems. But here's the problem with that. The enemy is not nearly as threatened by religious activity as we would like to imagine he is. He does not mind if we engage in activity and even acquire lots of information as long as we do not become a living demonstration of the word of God. How many of you would be described by others as, yeah, he knows a lot about the word of God? Or would people describe you as, she is a living demonstration of the word of God? We live in a Christian culture of highly educated talkers with very few demonstrators. But John's life was a demonstration of the word of God. John didn't speak a message. He was the message. And we look at that and say, well, that's, that's unusual. That should be normal in the kingdom of God. We do not share the message of God, of Jesus Christ. We are the message of Jesus Christ. 
See, the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus means that the place of authority and power is no longer in a centralized temple or held by a particular lineage. The place of authority and power is now living inside of every follower of Jesus Christ. And probably most of you in here are like, yeah, I know that. I have the Holy Spirit. But do you live that? Do you experience that? Do you know that? Or do you have mental assent and agreeable beliefs? Because I think if, if, if we really recognized what God had done, I mean, you know, we say, well, yeah, I'm a Protestant and I'm an evangelical, so of course I believe that. Great. I don't know that it does much for us unless we're actually living it out. See, here's, here's, the, here's the thing. We are part of a kingdom of priests, which means God is our inheritance and we have no other inheritance in this age. We're not guaranteed to be successful. We're not told that our lives will be easy or profitable from a world standpoint. See, when we make success our desire and destiny, we become susceptible to idolatry and often use other people and opportunities to obtain the success that we want. See, here's the thing that is so clear in the Bible and that I think the church throughout church history has constantly pushed back against it. We are the priesthood of believers. You are a priest. You are a priest. Have you ever characterized or described yourself as a priest of God? Because that's what you are. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and you have follow him, you are a priest and part of the priesthood of believers. Priesthood of believers goes beyond your denomination, your tribe, your ethnicity, your national attraction. God, in what he did in John's life and through Christ, has made a, a nation of priests. See, we are part of a nation, a priestly nation, a royal priesthood that is with everyone else on this planet. We are a nation with those people as the priesthood of God. And we have priestly duties to carry out during our lifetimes. Because we are called to bring the message of Jesus, the work of God, the word of God to the nations. That's why the priesthood is not bound by a particular geographic and political nation. Anytime we think in that context, we are diffusing the power of the Spirit in our lives because we are a royal priesthood, a priestly nation. You see, what God wanted from his people was a passionate covenantial love of a wife. 
not the transactional services that resembled prostitution. And that's what he called the priesthood. They weren't being a, a passionate, covenantial, loving wife. They were acting like prostitutes who were getting paid and rendered services and got benefits. Because the priests were functioning like the pagan priest, like a prostitute rather than a wife, God wanted someone to be bold enough to shut the system down. Where he says in Malachi, oh, that there would be one of you who would shut the doors. Not because God didn't, there was no value in, in coming together like that, but because they were not being who he called them to be. And they were transactional and they were, had drifted and there was corruption he said, oh, that there would be someone who'd be willing to do this. I think he's repeated that call from Malachi throughout the ages to the church. I think there's a lot of times, many moments where God has said, oh, that you would just shut the doors. And that's not an end to Christianity that's just the end of a man-centered, fear-based, power-grabbing system that we bend toward because we are fallen human beings in sin. I think one of the reasons that the priesthood of believers has been so weakened is because throughout the years, and if you get into church history, you'll find this to be true, that the professionals and the laity are not a category that the Bible gives us. They're created by mankind and those who want to protect themselves. As long as you don't see yourself as the priesthood of believers, then I have job security. And I don't know that Jesus will say, well done, my good and faithful servant, if that's what I present him when I see him face to face. You see, this crisis is repeated when people seek blessing and an in eternity in heaven in return for attending church services, donating some money, avoiding bad habits, and doing a few other religious acts, but have no real interest in the person of God, intimacy with Jesus. That's why we've been talking about this. Be pursuing intimacy with Jesus through meditation on his word, through, through, through giving, through prayer, through fasting. Please don't leave that behind. Keep talking about that, but don't talk about it, do it. Step into intimacy with Jesus because you will not become who God calls you to be if you don't know Jesus better than you know yourself and anyone else. God chose a priest in the wilderness to prepare Israel for Jesus' first coming. I want you to hear this. And he is looking for a priestly people to prepare the nations for his second coming. Do you know who that is? It's us. It's you and me. We are the priestly people who are called to prepare the nations for the return of Christ. Just like John was called to prepare Israel for the, for the coming of the Messiah. We are those priestly people. 
Our primary priestly role in life is to prepare the nations for the return of Christ. Malachi 3.2 says, But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. In Matthew 3.11, John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. That is us. You and I are priests who are called to prepare the nations for Christ's return. Are we doing that? Or are we creating our own little kingdoms and our own little comforts in our own little politics to protect ourselves under the guise of making the world better or protecting freedom. While we are called as a priestly people to be preparing the nations for Christ's return. Our nation is the body of Christ, the global family of God who are also priests. That's who we are, that's who you are. You are a priest. The New Testament doesn't give a designation or a, a, an office for the church as priest. That's the one thing it doesn't do. Why? Because we are all priests. And your priestly identity is above and beyond everything else that identifies you. You are a priest. You are a priestess of the Most High. Are we living into our role as priests? I believe that God has spoken in recent days. I believe that God is calling his church to himself. In some respects, I think the church looks like the temple at the time of John I think God is come calling. And here's the difference between what God did at the time of John and the temple and what he's doing now is the difference is that God is not doing a new work today. He is calling us back to his only work. This is not a new work. This is God's only work. And he's calling us back to that. I, I believe if we really believed that we were a priesthood of believers then the church would have led like it's nothing through this pandemic. But the priesthood was weak and fought against itself and allied with the world. But we have hope. Because just because we didn't act like priests just because we didn't realize we were priests doesn't mean we can't start being priests today. You are a priest. And God is calling you back to his only work, which is to bring attention to Jesus in the nations. 
regardless of what your system or circumstance is, that is your priestly role. See, we, we so often skip death and jump right to resurrection. We love resurrection, but we hate death, especially dying to self. John gave up his life and died to himself. We are a kingdom of priests. And that's why we have to lay the foundation with intimacy with Christ. That's why we've been pushing so hard on that. You and I, we need to be intimate with Jesus so that we can execute our priestly duties. I wanna invite the worship team to come back up and we're gonna reflect and worship. Today is the beginning of, 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 of something that I believe God is doing in the world and we have a choice to make, just like John. Are we gonna be a part of that? Are we gonna recognize our identities as priests over all other things we identify with? Jesus, I, I pray this morning that you would help us to be the people of God, not just in word, but in deed. That we would, with the utmost of humility, recognize and live in and execute our priestly duties. Every one of us in here who, who knows Jesus as Savior and follows him is a priest, regardless of gender, regardless of age, regardless of ethnicity. So Jesus, help us to live in that, to prepare the nations for your return. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint.